0: Welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. You're listening on EWTN Radio or St. Gabriel Radio. Beyond Damascus is carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Beyond
1: Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. My name is Dan Dimite and I'm joined here in studio with my good friends You're Aaron back. Richards. Yeah. He's and- the heck you're on, excited. Yeah, I haven't been around the last few episodes, but uh, I am excited to be here today. So if you're joining us for the first time, we are a ministry, a community of missionaries seeking to bring revival to the Catholic Church. We have uh, right now, we are in the midst of the Equip Conference. So Mm -hmm. outside of this illustrious Damascus studio, uh, we currently have 350 missionaries preparing to serve 7,000 middle schoolers and high schoolers this summer at three Different camp locations: Ohio, Wisconsin, and Michigan. It's gonna get wild this summer. Let's just give God it's exciting. A, uh, That's so a, good. A yeah. Yes. Yeah. So right now we're at the Equip Conference. It's where we equip our 350 missionaries before they get deployed on mission. What is God doing right now? The last few days at this conference, what are you guys sensing? What's the Lord
0: speaking? What's the the uh, the enthusiasm on your heart? Yeah, I, I've been really impressed this year by by the class we've got. This is one of my favorite events of the year. It's not. It's more than an event. I think this is like a 11 day conference at mm-hmm. this point. So uh, you know we have we have a lot of opportunities where students will come here on retreat, even summer camp. Kids come from all over to. to Come to summer camp, but I think Equip is unique in that this is a—it's a huge group, 350 people who are here. All of them are, you know, by virtue of their application, they're hungry to learn, mm-hmm. they're hungry for more, they're hungry for prayer, and they're hungry to be formed. Mm-hmm. So rarely ever do you have like that type of just a, a desire mm-hmm. uh, all in one space. So kicking off the
2: first night, I mean, Dan led our opening message, and it was just—it was just mm-hmm. the energy was electric. Mm-hmm. So I love it. Yeah, me too. I—I I, I was going to say something similar. I think yeah. Uh, uh, the desire has been standing out to me too i think there's a there's just a passion in the young adults in the church that we get to uh, minister with and minister to where they're like um they're so convicted that they want to see all that the faith has to offer you know that they're like yeah I, I love that i have a personal prayer life i love that like i'm able to minister to my family but what all does the faith have for me you know like what what does the faith have for me in my school at my college campus what does it have for me in my workplace what does it have for me in this desire i have to pray with other people like there's just this um wide openness that these young adults come in Mm -hmm. with to say i desire just to know how vast and wide this awesome faith that we call ours is and it's so fun to accompany them in that and to learn ourselves so i think desire is is something i'm seeing too and um yeah passion that's for so sure. exciting
1: yeah the when um i mean the church calendar blessed us this year that we started our equipped <laughs> conference on pentecost weekend mm-hmm. and so that's beautiful just the open heavens were were pouring out mm-hmm. and i just i love like when you look to a lot of the different quote revivals in uh in history or even um what was the big revival that was all over the news this year at that college Asbury? Right? i never know yeah. how asbury i, I, I also say, say like a Southern Ohio so i'm yeah. not sure if i'm even saying it right <laughs> but you know you know, there's all these, like, uh, it was, it was just like, and I was thinking the other day as we were worshiping in our, our, our community, they, it was just like this reckless, like, um, abandoned worship that was just like, I don't ever want to leave this room. And there's mm-hmm. something about the young adult, uh, generation that they they're able to give the freedom of their time. Right. Why, why was it that that, uh, Osbury, um, university revival was able to happen it was because they, they just didn't leave. Right. There was the freedom of their time that they were able to stay in worship and stay in in yeah. repentance and stay in worship. And um, whereas I think you know sometimes we with our adult schedules we may be like oh shoot well I gotta go put the kids to sleep or oh dang I gotta go uh, to work. And there's there's a um, of course blessing and and glory and grace in the order, but there's also something really unique about availability. Yeah. And I think that's what you're seeing in the church right now amongst the young adults is they're just available. And I was struck as we were worshiping like like, Oh my gosh, Lord, the more the, um, can you say, Oh my gosh, to the, to the Lord?
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Probably God,
1: God forbid, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, I was, I was, uh, I was like, wow, like the more we enable the young church to be available to him, the more we're going to see revival, right? Mm-hmm. Because they've got this freedom of time. And what do you see the, the enemy doing to middle schoolers, high schoolers, young adults? He's actually trying to overcrowd their schedules right now. Yeah. And Make them so busy. Like middle schoolers are busier
0: than ever before in human history. Why? Because the enemy wants to break their availability. And to, to use some language that's familiar to the show, I think. Even one other thing that struck me this weekend is I think that our Gen Z and you know uh, this this community sometimes gets a bad rap for for being self absorbed or isolated or unwilling to go out and to serve. But you know we have we have 350 who are gathered here who their greatest desire is to pour their life out and to and to give this incredible gift. Of mission. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so affirming to see that like, okay, Lord, you're, you're still making good on your promise here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're still sending laborers and, uh, we just need to be ready. We need to be ready to receive and to and to point them in the right direction.
2: Mm, amen. Yeah, I do. I, I think the, um, the availability word is something that I, I hadn't thought of as well as you laid it out, Dan, but I, I do see that totally. I, it's funny because when you hear the, um, like the modern atheists, they'll always use that like term, like the God of the gaps that you guys just call God, whatever you can't explain, um, which is a, a poor argument against God. But I do think like God does fill in gaps, but it's with time, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's actually when I allow space that I I see not just what's right in front of me, yeah. but like everything. Yeah. And so it's actually in those gaps of time that that we are able to experience God. That's why the church has forever said like, no, we we need to be in church on Sunday. Like there's an obligation here because it's it's an hour or two hours or however long the mass yeah. is of time where you need to give space where God can have all of your attention and it's crazy to think that like we've um, settled on that being the only time we give him space yeah. and when you give him 10 days of space we see amazing things happen
1: well and that was like I was on Pentecost I was praying into um the the account where Jesus says do not leave Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high right yeah. and um and and they did that they 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 stayed in the upper Room in prayer, not they didn't gather on Pentecost that evening expecting Pentecost. They actually gathered in the upper room after the ascension, awaiting the promise of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know if the promise of the Holy Spirit was going to come day one. And so they awaited day two, day three, day, and a week passes and they're still gathered waiting for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit until they were clothed. And then they knew once they were clothed, He just came, right? It was, and it's, Mm. it says they were sitting uh, in in scripture that that while while they were sitting in the upper room and I think sometimes we think they probably were in this like massive prayer meeting but um mm-hmm. they they were just waiting on God and the availability to wait on him to when are you going to come in the way that you've promised to come and mm-hmm. sometimes we probably just don't give him enough time to come in power
2: yeah well cuz we're in a, we're in too big of a hurry I, I we see that all the time that's that's why the liturgical seasons are so cool too they they remind us that we need to slow down right like like lent um requires me to be diligent about the things I'm giving up. Because if I just move on to the next thing, I, I do the thing I said I was going to give up, but I have to be intentional and actually think like, am I eating the thing I said I was going to give up? Right? Like, yep. oh, wait, it's Friday. I'm not going to eat meat today. There, there's an intentionality built into that rhythm to remind us, slow down, do things intentionally. Like don't just move because yep. you're feeling the pressure to move, move with intention. What, what was that? Um, could you imagine yeah, if we
1: did a conference where there was no programming? That was just sure. like just total availability. There were no talks scheduled. Too it was soon, just prayer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no,
2: that's it. That would be interesting. Well, I think there. Will, it, there's also a part of it though that like it, it's not it's not aimless um, waiting. There, there's there's yeah. aims in the waiting too, yeah, right? Like there probably were prayer fellowship. meetings in the upper room prior to the Holy Spirit fall. Like there's mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. things to do in the time. But I, I was going towards that line that you shared, Aaron, in your um, teaching on the church and movements. And and forgive me mm-hmm. if I'm I'm Sorry. well, it, but it's it's uh, when we begin to do with yeah.
0: intention what we've done by. Intention, intuition, then we achieve acceleration.
2: That's right. Exactly. So if I, if I start bringing intentionality to that, which I just intuitively do, yeah. like I, I've found that in my own life with, um with the creed at mass. And we've talked about that on this show before, but when I pray the creed at mass and I slow down to say, I'm actually stating that, which I'm claiming to believe yeah. I, I like have some of the best revelation I've ever had in my life because I I'm doing the thing I would usually do intuitively intentionally. And it does accelerate you. And that, goes to your idea about availability, because we're literally being intentional about that, which we usually would just, um, I don't know, fill up and move on to the next thing.
1: Yeah, I love that. So essentially, I think in in our modern context of the church, we call youth ministry like what you do with kids, right? And realistically, in in the church's understanding of youth ministry, and even uh, it it would be like like forming the young generation, middle schoolers, Mm -hmm. high schoolers, young adults. Uh, We don't, in the American context, we don't really... Call young adult ministry, youth ministry. But if you ever go to World Youth Day, the, the majority of the, the global church brings young adults to World Youth Day. What does mm-hmm. America do? We're like, oh, it's it's an event for high school. It's like our, our mindset of uh, of youth ministry is usually high school or middle school. Uh, I, you know, I'd say when the church speaks to the youth, they're often thinking middle school, high school, young adults. And even more specifically, that older d- demographic of high schoolers and, and young adults. And right now what we're seeing in history, History in America, we've talked about this on the show before. That this Generation Z that you you mentioned, Aaron, Gen Z is the first post-Christian generation in America. The first, yeah. mm-hmm. the first generation that we're seeing in America where there are now, there are now more uh, people who identify with not being Christian than with being Christian. So the the country that was founded as a Christian country is is no longer at least you know it's no longer the majority of Christians. And yeah. so in this time our goal here at Damascus is to to reclaim this lost generation for Jesus Christ. So we want to see a generation one for Jesus again, a generation on their knees worshiping the living God again. And and when we say we want to to win an, a generation for Jesus, it's not it's not just the the middle schoolers. We want we want to see the young adult generation. We want to see mm-hmm. the high school generation and we want to see that next generation which is still being named if you will that um uh, uh, those middle schoolers uh,
2: to be one for Jesus. Yeah. Isn't that why encounter so important because there's a, there's, there is something unique about the generation we're living in. It, it's, it's not just like the early church in the sense that um, the world needs evangelized just as much as it ever has since then. Yep. But it's because we're actually living now, not like the early church where they had a lot of heathens that had never heard the gospel. We're now living in a world that has rejected the gospel. That's, that's a different, mm-hmm. that that's a different playing field. And so that requires encounter, right? Like that, that's where everything we talk about comes in. Like if you're going to reject something, how would you normally refute someone rejecting something? You would demonstrate. You would show them that they're in fact not correct, and God, who mm-hmm. loves them, wants to do that. That's what encounter. And many does. of them,
1: maybe they haven't outright rejected, it, but they're even just immune to it. It's like the sure. the secular secularism is like a vaccine that has yeah. made so many people numb to the gospel. Where oh yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. Oh, I know about Jesus. I've heard his yeah, name. Maybe
2: rejection is too strong. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's indifference. Well, no, it's both. And there yeah, are sure, people who have sure. made
1: the rejection, and then there's also the the indifference, and and both of those, as you you point out, Brad. So so interesting. It is a different world than the Apostolic Church because the Apostolic Church, people were hungry for truth. Uh, people were seeking for uh for for they there was yeah. there was an intentional reliance on a spiritual being that was bigger than me. Whereas right. postmodernism truly has made myself God. Yeah. And there is like the in the apostolic age, people were looking for objective truth. Now objective truth has been rejected as a uh, well, whatever is well, true. Whatever I say yeah. is true. And mm-hmm. so who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? And and so it is very interesting. The, the world we're in is unique and we need a move of God.
0: Amen. You're listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is aired on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and right here in Central Ohio on St. Gabriel Radio. You can listen to the whole version of today's show at www.ewtn.com slash radio radio slash podcasts, or check us out on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. We'll be right back with this episode after a short break. EWTN, communicating the faith.
2: I am a very happy, grateful revert to the faith. About 12 years ago, I was surfing the
1: channels And I found EWTN. I didn't even know it existed. And I heard Mother and remembered that years ago, I had told a Catholic nun at a church in Boston that I was
2: visiting that I missed the faith. And she said, you will come back. And when I was listening to Mother Angelica, I remembered that.
1: The most original and
2: exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio.
0: One time, somebody said to me, why don't you air these people? And I said,
1: no, because I don't think they're Catholic.
0: He says, by what right do you have to
1: say that? I said, I own the network. <laughs> Mother Angelica Live Classics, every morning to Eastern on
2: EWTN Radio.
0: Welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is aired on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and right here in Central Ohio on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio.
1: So this show is going to be really fun. One of the reasons (laughs) it's going to be fun is we're going to talk about why is youth ministry so stinking important in in order to win a a generation for Jesus Christ? Why should our effort, why is our effort at Damascus when we want to win a generation or when we like, are we doing youth ministry just because it's it's the popular thing to do? Um, Or are we doing youth ministry because we think it's where revival will come from? And then we're going to also kind of give a paradigm for like, um, what was Pentecost like and and (laughs) who was at Pentecost? Costs, which will be fun spoiler alert it's gonna get good okay actually that wasn't a spoiler that was a teaser i'm yeah. not telling you so let's start with that question like why should we do youth ministry and why do we as a community here at least yeah. believe that revival
0: is going to come from the youth well I mean, another observation just quickly is is youth ministry has taken a dive since covid i mean like right now the the youth ministry landscape across the united states is, is pretty miserable <laughs> yeah it's ugly yeah uh, and and I don't and i don't think that we came we didn't necessarily come from a from a very strong place before, but this is one area where because we've depended really on um, young missionaries to drive this forward for so long that uh, really cutting it off at the knees for for two to three years mm-hmm. has almost eliminated an entire population of leadership. Yep. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've yeah we've got we've got some work to do to reclaim it.
2: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, I, I think on like uh just a natural level, when are you most open to learning new things? <laughs> yeah. When you don't know anything, right? Yeah. Like. And when you're growing up, when you're young, there's there's a reality that you haven't had your mind set on anything. And and if the world is gonna be presenting those young people with things that they might be able to believe, then we as Christians should be telling these young people what they might be able to believe too. Like it's, it's your most form, like formable time. And I, I think that so often we can um, do the exact opposite mm-hmm. in, in the church. We can be like, well, we're gonna play the long game yeah. and, and we'll get them before they die. It's like, well, like ask any sports team what happens if you get blown out in the first quarter, it is a long road, to hoe. If you're going to try to get all the way back by the end of the game, like, yep. and and people will always say it's how you finish. Well, I, I've like constantly been looking at this. It was actually funny. I took an economics or sports class in college. They would say it's how economics you sto- of economics of <laughs> sports. It's, it's crazy, but like, I don't want to get into all of it, but um, like numbers would suggest it's how you start and how you finish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's how you start and how you finish that. Yep. You, you can't get so far behind that. You can't catch up or else you're out of it yep. the rest of the game. And if, if you, if you don't, if you don't finish there, then all of the things you did before are for naught, Right. And so I, I think that we have to, we have to begin seeing that, that like the way we live, those middle years are very much determined by how we're formed now.
1: Well, and I, I think, you know, working with young people sometimes is hard. Working with young people sometimes results in rejection. Working with young people sometimes means it's not as fruitful as I wanted it to be. And so I think the church has often just, um, because they don't know what the right solution is, they look to something else, right? Like, oh, I can't figure out how to win this crowd over. Let me focus over here. And that that's across the board, like middle school, high school, young adults, like the, the, the need to reach this young demographic
2: is yeah. massive.
1: And I, I like, you know, when I'm trying to make a point, I always uh, like to reference Hitler. Um, that's not
2: not great, but we'll see where it goes no, from here. But
1: I mean, Hitler's. That is the Hitler's, first time that's
0: ever been said on the show. <laughs>
1: Definitely. Probably the last time, too. Well, Hitler's methodology was. Oh, my it, gosh. Uh, to, win, to win the youth. Right. That. No. That right. I so get much of the effort of Nazism was all around <laughs> what they would call yeah. Hitler youth. And if they knew that if they won the youth, yeah. they would win the nation, right? Mm-hmm. And um, why? Because those, the, the youth become the mindset of the future. And mm-hmm. and what do we see liberalism attacking, or where do we see the, their demographic right now? They they want to, the, the mindset of the, if you will, the far left doesn't, they're not going after the the old ladies, right? Where are they going? They're going after the schools to the extent where, mm-hmm. right now in the news, what you're seeing all over the place is kindergartners, right? That they're, yeah. the, the movement knows that if if we win the kindergartners, yep. if we win the middle schoolers, if we win the high schoolers, that we're gonna where where has the liberal agenda initially attacked college campuses? Right, yeah, that it, it was the minds. Why? Because as you said, Brad, they're they're asking questions and they're docile to formation, and so they haven't come up
2: with conclusions yeah. yet. Well, you have to have a worldview. Like you're not you're not going to get out of your youth and young adult stage without a worldview, and so we we have to present them with what are plausible worldviews, and if the Christian worldview isn't presented in a persuasive way and in a way that's believable and followable, then we're gonna lose. Yeah. And so like I just it's it's critical because everyone knows it's critical. Like when does Nike want people to start wearing Nike? In their 30s, in their 40s? No, because they're not going to start wearing Nike in their 30s and 40s. No. But if they start wearing Nike when they're 10, they're gonna wear Nike basketball shoes for the rest of their life because that's what they've always worn. Like consumerism knows this. Yep. Right? Like yep. like politics knows this. So the church should know this, right? I'm laughing
1: because I was looking at shoes. The other day, and I thought to myself, like, maybe I should get a pair of Nikes. I was like, No, I've never worn Nikes. Why would I get Nikes? No, no, <laughs> it, it's, it's, process it's real. No, it's real.
2: It's real. <laughs> but I, I think, like, if, um, I think that this has been a really fascinating part of like my work here with you guys is like we always talk about an entrepreneur spirit in the church. Yeah. Like we actually can look at like, okay, marketers, they're looking to make money. And so they're finding the best ways to make money. We're trying to win souls and we can look at the marketers and they're saying the best way to make money is to keep these young people buying our products their whole life. We can know that the best way to win souls is to keep these young people attached to the Lord for the rest of their life. Yep. Like it's not, it's not a hard move. Move. It's no. just us waking up and and being willing to do the hard work it takes to actually do that, right? Mm-hmm. The hard work it takes for Nike is they're gonna pump billions of dollars in revenue into it. The hard work it takes for us is it's gonna be billions of hours of work from tons of missionaries investing in all of the young people over the next, yeah. however long we mm-hmm. live, right?
1: And this isn't a new concept. So what I think will be fun to talk about is how uh, even in our ancient, like uh, Old Testament roots or uh, Judeo-Christian uh, roots so that, like the The Jewish people, the people of God, understood the importance of youth ministry. Right, the, the, mm-hmm. there, when we look to the discipleship methodology, it was a methodology of youth ministry. I just want to read from kind of their the 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 battle cry of the mm-hmm. Jewish people was the Shema prayer, and it says this: "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on." On your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. They must have been exaggerated. Yeah. 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 And they did that, yeah. right? It was. <laughs> and they drilled it. It says, impress them upon your children. And so that's what they built. Family life, yeah. prayer life, their feast days. I, it's, it's fascinating to learn about how the children are a critical component in an intentional way of Jewish feast days. Yeah, because, the liturgy. Yeah. They want to raise them up in the faith to have ownership. And then this gets into this discipleship method that we always talk about as Catholics now. Like we need to be doing discipleship. We need to be doing discipleship. Well, the first century Judaism was doing discipleship Mm -hmm. and their discipleship methodology was to minister to basically like five-year-olds through 30-year-olds. It it was an effective progression of youth and young adult ministry. Mm -hmm. Do you want to kind of share, Brad, like what was the... The, what was the system of education they had yeah. for discipleship? Yeah, in first-century Judaism. Well, it's
2: actually really fascinating because everything you're saying there is is right. They they would know. Well, that, thank you. Uh, can they, can well, we make would, a T-shirt that, that, Brad, that Brad actually Brad has said, said that?
1: Everything Dan is saying there no, well, is right. Well, in that <laughs> particular
2: instance, nope, but, um, nope, no. It's no, no it's hey,
1: uh, Jack, can you make a short <laughs> and just put that out on TikTok over and over again, <laughs> and then everybody will then know.
2: <laughs> but no, um, well, because like again, they understood that. That when you have the way, the truth, and the life, that's something worth passing on, yeah. right? And disciple comes from the word meaning learner. And so the way they built their education system was actually teaching them the way of life that would most benefit them. They weren't just teaching them all of the subjects, they were teaching them the primary subject, which was the faith that they were passing on. And so um, there were three levels of education in the Jewish education system. Get ready for You had um, Bet Sefer, which just means house of the book. You had Bet Talmud, which means house of learning. And then you had Bet Midrash, which means house of study. And ultimately the way that it would work is every five to 10 year old boy would enter Betsefer or house of the book and they would begin learning the Pentateuch, the the first five books of the Bible. And they would begin just memorizing it, right? That's what they would do from the age of five or six until the age of 10. Once they got um, of age, um, which was around the age of 10, they would then be um, tested in some way on how well they understood the first five books of the Bible. Mm. And the ones that understood it the best would then move. Move on Okay. And there's a reason that I'm sharing that part because the, let's say it was the 90% that didn't test high enough, they would go home and learn their father's trade. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the top 10%, let's say, would move on to the next level. So they would move from Bet Sefer, which means house of the book, to Bet Talmud, which means house of learning. And in house of learning, they would stay in there from roughly the age of like 10 to the age of 14. And that's when they would begin taking on the entire Old Testament. So they would begin like reading the major prophets, the minor prophets. They they would begin really, really trying to dive into the Old Testament, understanding it, memorizing it. And from the age of 10 to 14, as they did that, the same type of progression would happen when they would come of age, which was around the age of 14. They would test them again. And again, let's say that the bottom 90% or so would go home and learn their father's trade. That was the amount of education they would have. The top 10%, let's say, would then move on to the third level of education, which was bet mid rash. This was house of learning. And this was roughly the ages of like 14 to 16 ish. And that is when you would be mm. like like ironing out that you were you were m- like maximizing what you could understand about the Old Testament. You didn't just have the whole Old Testament memorized at this point. You understood the implications, where it could be drawn from one prophet to the next, like all of these things. And then what would happen is the top portion of that um, cohort would go and find- It's a pretty small a cohort ra- at this oh, point. Oh yeah, right. Would go and find a rabbi, which just means teacher. And, and the rabbis would be masters of the faith. And what they would go to the rabbis and say is like, like, can I follow you? May I follow you? And that's when the rabbi w- would respond with mm-hmm. all of these questions, making sure that this particular disciple would be worthy of discipleship. Mm-hmm. And it was only if they, they checked all of the boxes that, that the, the rabbi would look at the disciple and say, come follow me. Now, again, I, I'll leave it there. Cause I know you guys can add more context to the kind of latter half of that and what happens after. But what's really important here is like, like, look, look at who Jesus goes and calls. He goes and calls fishermen who are fishing with their dads. Yep, Those are men that didn't make the cut. They went home and learned their father's trade. But not only that, look at Jesus, who's called rabbi, who made his way through all of these and yet still went home and learned his father's trade. Mm-hmm. There, there's a story of meekness in it. There's a story of humility in it. And, mm-hmm. and it matters and it gives us context because it shows us that Jesus also knows, as we should as church, that it matters what you do in your youth. It matters what you do with the young. It matters what you do with those who make the cut and don't make the cut. Yep. We have to get this into the young generation. So that, that would be like, I guess, the five minute.
1: Well, and the, and the reason that it was so, that was good. Let's give Brad a yeah, That's, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I love when, the, no I, notes. I, can't, no notes. I can't memorize <laughs>
2: all those words and stuff,
1: but I love the the um, the um progression there and the intentionality. And then what happens is once you start following the rabbi, right? You uh, A teenager, whether they're 14, 15, 16, they follow that rabbi until mm. about age 30 mm-hmm. in, in first century Judaism. And then they would become A rabbi themselves, but they're in a school of learning from this young age all the way up till 30. Mm -hmm. No one ever really questions, like, well, why did Jesus start his public ministry at age 30? Well, because that was the standard age of the time for a rabbi to step into his his teaching call. And because the age of learning had ended. And so when we think about, if you will, Jesus's ministry, Jesus's Mm -hmm. ministry was youth and young adult ministry. They say that John, the youngest disciple, was probably 30. 13 14 years wow. old yeah. and Peter the oldest disciple was probably 25 or 26. So his 12 apostles were between the ages of 13 14 to 26, right? Mm-hmm. That they're uh, I'm sorry, probably around he, he, Peter was probably around 23 or 24. And um so you have this young adult what we would classify as like middle school <laughs> through college. yeah. And they were learning together, right? Mm-hmm. Or late middle school through college and they're learning together the way of yeah. Jesus. And I think there's something neat about that because well like the rabbi wouldn't just have the older kids like the 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 19 20 21 year olds why because he wants to make sure those the, he he wants a long period of learning for these people and he wants to make sure the older generation of youth are mini, ministering mentoring mm. modeling uh to that younger generation but there's this and that they would grow into that right, That's right. why because by the time you leave Torah a school mm-hmm. it's less the rabbi is less about the education the intellectual formation you've already learned the the law if you will you've already learned the Torah now you're learning the lifestyle mm-hmm. and the rabbi is 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 imparting on the youth the lifestyle a uh, 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 that he carries. And so Jesus is meant to teach a lifestyle, not just teachings to his disciples. And the disciples are meant to learn a lifestyle and then replicate that lifestyle. And that's the beauty. Discipleship is about lifestyle and replication of lifestyle. And that's exactly what we see the early church do. And you see Jesus teaching a lifestyle, not just an intellectual
0: deposit of faith. And what I think what we see, what we identified that we're seeing here at Damascus too, is just that like it's through mission that encounter comes alive. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of different perspectives right now on how I can be most effectively uh, leveraged and utilized and and built up as a as a Christian who's going to come and serve the world. But like ultimately, the, there's there's all kinds of um, hot topic words, you know, that I need to go through a time of formation or a time of like uh, building identity, right? But all of that, what we would suggest here is it
2: has to happen in mission,
0: and we're not just in this game in mission now because it's convenient, yep. but because it's it's always been critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep.
2: Well, and it also if you're not on mission to youth, you. You also can't learn from them. Like when, when we find Jesus teaching in the temple, he would have been in that second stage of learning. So he would have been in, in Bet Talmud. And that's why when he's teaching all of these rabbis in, in the temple, they're like, oh my goodness, how can one this young bring such wisdom? Mm-hmm. And Jesus is showing us something there. He later in the, in the Sermon on the Mount says, let the children come to me and learn from them. Like w- we, we don't only miss out on teaching them what they need. We also miss out on allowing them to teach us what what we need. Yep, yep. And that that serves both of us. Well, it disserves both of us is yep. what I'm trying to say. And I think there's there's such an importance in understanding that when we step into um, that type of ministry, mm-hmm. it's not all give. It's give and receive. The Lord reveals things to us as we're ministering and bestowing the faith. Just think about some of the questions you guys have gotten at times from young people. And you're like, I don't know if I know the answer to that. It leads you to go then search out the answer and then yep. give them the answer. Well, what does that do? It makes me a better disciple. Mm-hmm. It well, makes me better.
1: And And I think that's, this is the lack this is uh, the yeah the, what what lacks in our conversation on discipleship methodology right in the church is that we often we don't look at the what was first century Judaism doing and I think there's an effective model here where we're raising up we're pouring into the young young adult church to do youth ministry and I think we're going to see a lot of revival in our church when we have young adults focused on ministering to the middle school and the high schoolers this exactly. is, this is the, as, as the older generation here we 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 are teaching a way of life to the young younger the the young adult generation mm-hmm. who are then modeling that way of life to middle schoolers and high schoolers so they can catch it why because most young people aren't leaving the Catholic Church because they disagree with the teachings it's because they don't know what the lifestyle of a Christian looks like yeah. and Jesus is like I'm the rabbi I'm gonna show you the narrow path and then the disciples are like oh I'm gonna walk the narrow path and I'm gonna model to the younger generation the, the narrow path we we need this progression of how do we bring in the 13, 14, 15 year olds who are they're coming into age of, of maturity, of what it means to live as a human being in this world, and, and have that modeled by those who have been modeled the way of life, the lifestyle.
2: Do you know what the, the studies show? I wonder what you think about this. Um, but the studies show that young people that leave the faith, they leave the faith for two reasons, usually combined. One is they haven't been given satisfactory answers to their questions. And the other is because those those who do give them answers to their questions don't seem to be passionate and invigorated about the answers that they're giving. So, like, so re- legitimately, like the solution to the 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 huge exodus from the church is literally being able to recognize that there are <laughs> answers to give and solutions to give, and bringing those answers and solutions in a way that's convicted and believes yeah. it. That's discipleship. That's yeah. literally what we should be doing. And and when you see bishops, they're hitting it on the head. I think so many bishops in our country deserve great credit because they're they're getting it right. They're like, we need mission and purpose for our young adults and we need an encounter for our youth. Mm-hmm. Well, let's bring mission and purpose to young adults by having them bring encounter to youth. Like mm. they're hitting, they're getting to it. It's just, we have to put it in.
0: So applications are available here. <laughs> yeah,
2: <right>? Yes, <laughs> I do think that we've, we the Holy Spirit has allowed us to find that. I, I think it's true.
0: Tony the Theologian,
1: Chris the Entrepreneur, and Joe the Farmer are the Rome Boys. In each of their podcasts, they take a timely topic and discuss it from three different perspectives. You can hear Rome Boys as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTNradio.net slash podcasts today. Keep Christ and Christmas
2: this year with holy reminders for those on your gift list. From seasonal ornaments and items for your home to a wide selection of gift-giving ideas, let EWTN Religious Catalog inspire your Christmas shopping. Log on to our website or call toll-free at 1-800-854-6316. Buy Catholic. Shop today at
0: EWTNRC.com. Welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is aired on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and right here in Central Ohio on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio
1: we as a church just celebrated Pentecost this past weekend. And it's just, it's so funny um, because we've got a big picture of Pentecost in, in our, um, in our lodge here at Damascus. And I was, it was a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I was walking past the picture and I love, it's one of my favorite paintings um, because it's Mary at at Pentecost. So it's Mary, the mother of God with all of the apostles uh, uh, around her and, and the Holy Spirit's coming down. And I've always just loved this image. I am, but all of a sudden, I realized wait a second Mary is young Mary looks younger in this image than the apostles look and the image has the apostles with gray hair and gray beards they look like 55 60 year olds at the end of their days like and it's like but that wasn't pinna- well and Mary looks like a 20 year old. I'm like what is Mary like like <laughs> Pentecost would have been if they if they were called at age fourteen through twenty three. Huh. Pentecost would have been seventeen through twenty six year olds. That's the, awesome. The mm-hmm. uh, disciples of Jesus were high schoolers and college age students, and Our Lady was there as the wisdom. She was yeah. the she was the older like one, in mid forties or yeah. whatever that math and, checks out to me. And so, um, I, I think so often the reason we don't actually impart the power of the Holy Spirit on the young church in a way that they have access to is because we don't even believe that they have the ability to, yeah. to be the world changers and the let's game up, changers. Let's recommission that painting. I, I actually was really thinking about that.
0: Jack, can you get some AI
1: image generation <laughs> stuff or How do we change? <laughs> like what, what, di- like how often do we see the apostles pictured
0: and they're always pictured as these old guys? It's like, well, it's not, this is so historically inaccurate. Well, think of, uh, think of too, the, at the foot of the cross when, when Jesus gave Mary to John that, that changes that perspective too. I always think of John as like a kind old, you know, yeah. older gentleman who's going to take, yeah. take care of the blessed lady. Yeah. He's but, no, he would, 16. Yeah, yeah. He have, yeah. 17. A, a yeah. kid yeah, coming he's, into the home of his mother.
2: That's right. That's right. Well, I also, I wonder if this also has to do with the fact that we have um, maybe overstated rationality in the church today. That like, we believe that the young people don't have access to it because they don't have the rational faculty yeah. that us three at this table do. Mm-hmm. Because I, th- that seems to be why we're depicting all of these apostles older than they were at the time. Because what we're saying is they finally wrap their minds around it? Yeah. But I don't know if God is as interested in us wrapping our minds around it as He is us wrapping our hearts around it.
1: Uh. What if What if Jesus called them because they had flunked out of Torah school? Sure. And in order to actually oh. receive the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to subject our minds to the power of God as
2: opposed to the intellectual That's right. reason. Well, Aaron, you have a teaching on this on um on the parables. Um. You you um remind me it, no well, it, no no well like you teach it with like everything the, you with said the,
1: there, Aaron
2: was right. Well, with, <laughs> well, like, you know, you teach it with like the Easter egg hunt, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that, that the Lord doesn't, uh, you know, he, he, he honors our, our childlike faith, our childlike faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that he's not hiding himself in order to try to trick us. Right. He's not hiding yeah. from us. He's hiding for us because he likes yeah, to be in relationship. Yeah. Mystery is for us. It's, it's a part of, it's a part of the invitation.
2: hundred percent. Yeah. And that and I love that because like, yeah, the father that hides Easter eggs from for his children. He's not hiding them to like, like torment them. Like he's hiding them because the, the great joy they get when yeah. they discover them like that. That's what Jesus was doing in the parables and the people that were overthinking it were missing it. And and it was the people that hmm. simply listened to what was being said that were accessing it. I do think there's something to that, that the Lord is, it, yes, faith is on the far side of reason, but I think far too often we lean way too heavy on our
0: reason. Yeah, I love that. So love it's that. a, I mean, it's a, it's a shift that's happened through generations, right? So. So, mm. but we're, what we're seeing is that, um, yeah, it's it's bred into our culture. Like this is the lens that we're raised in. That uh, that the naive foundations of of young people, like that that we they need to be formed out of them instead of being trusted. Yeah. Mm. And uh, it it represents a paradigm shift when it comes to ministry. I believe that you know each of us has had various experience with youth ministry in the church, and it's always the very last thing on anybody's agenda. Um, it's always the very least thing that we think about. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the Reasons why youth ministry has traditionally, in a parish setting at least, been um, one of the least reliable uh, aspects of of a parish's ministry is because it's you know it's the least funded and the the least qualified individuals are the ones who are being pulled into the positions. Yeah. Right. So um, I don't know. I, I I don't I don't like to you know prophesy future direction, but yeah, if if there's a if there's a chance for the future of Catholicism, it seems like we've got to be serious about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know we we can't we can't hope to wait until college. To recruit people to to recruit college students, mm-hmm. it's a it's a losing game.
2: Yeah, well, even think about it in the context of, of the rabbi, right? Let's say that the rabbi took on an amazing young disciple at the age of sixteen, and his average time with each disciple was a year and a half, and then he moved on instead of sixteen to thirty. Yeah. Do you think the disciple would be the disciple that he could be? And then the average turnover of youth ministers in the church today is a year and a half. Yeah. That was, that, so was like, that was ten years ago. Like, I bet it's
0: like six yeah, months now. yeah yeah
2: yeah no it's an old it's old statistics that. I'm <laughs> Yeah. even quoting there, but but you get the point that like, no, we're, we're we are missing something. We are seeing it as non, uh, I don't know if it's non-necessary, but we are seeing it as as less than ideal or something that you should scale from, not scale to.
1: Well, it's interesting too because in the rabbi model it's after you you do the intellectual formation and, and the, if you will, the schoolwork formation up until about age 13, 14 mm-hmm. and then you move into lifestyle formation because mm-hmm. the, the mind Needs to be shaped and uh and formed at a young age through the like uh, I'm going to make sure that I have the 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 correct mindset here, right? Mm The but once you're in those those the teenage years, you need to be taught the lifestyle. And we if our model is let's just send them to Catholic schools all all the way through the end of college and the Catholic education is going to do it, but we're not showing the lifestyle of Christianity to them. And we never pull them out of the academic work to be infused in lifestyle Christianity, then they're not gonna, they're not gonna receive it. I yeah. love my favorite blessing that the the hmm. disciple would receive is after they heard the words, come follow me, they would go home and tell their parents, oh my gosh, the Rabbi Jesus or Rabbi whomever invited me to follow him. The blessing that they would say is, let his dust be upon you. Let the, the rabbi's dust be upon hmm. you, which meant you would follow him so closely that his lifestyle would cover you. Yeah. And I, you know, it is is that is that our mindset when we're ministering people that, that, Hey, I want the, what's on me. I want my lifestyle is I want it to impart it on you. And I'm going to actually teach you how to live Christianity, how to live Catholicism by the lifestyle I'm living. What, why does the that apostle feels presumptuous, Paul, doesn't it? Dan? Well, this is exactly why Paul says, imitate <laughs> yeah. me as I imitate Christ. I that was discipleship. It he, was. Christ, Paul's job as a disciple of Jesus is to imitate Jesus. Now his job as a disciple of Jesus is to have other disciples Imitate him. It's Jesus's lifestyle, this rabbi's lifestyle being passed on through the disciples. And so to say imitate me as I imitate Jesus, it it sounds um, prideful in our modern context. In ancient Judaism, it was like, yeah, duh, if you're a disciple of Jesus, I'm going to imitate you as you imitate Jesus. Yeah,
2: right. Well, it's also, um, again, again, just to go to the reason that we're putting the things in here at Damascus that we put in, that's the reason that we do our Eucharistic procession on Wednesdays the way we do it. We, We take our Lord in the blessed sacrament and in the monstrance, and we follow him, and we stop at stations where saints give monologues, where where our missionaries dressed as saints give monologues. They then pick up their light, their torch, and they follow behind the Eucharistic Lord ahead of the crowd. And we follow them, following Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's it's because that's what we do, and that's because why the it's a campsite, rocked.
1: dust literally gets on us. Hey, there you go. Hey. That's why we added dust <laughs> to the site. No, but
2: seriously, I do think that there's something to say. Like the, these aren't just like ancient ways of operating that we that we need to um just contextualize and understand but things that we we can actually implement very very practically and I don't yeah. just mean the Eucharistic procession but like whenever you're walking with someone are, are you are you encountering Jesus often enough to know that you're living his lifestyle and then are you walking with them intentionally enough to be able to tell them hey you can imitate me as I imitate Christ mm. there's holiness and mission right yeah. the church is always mm. setting us up for success it's just that we have to recognize that encounter and mission are critical which again is mm is what we talk about all the time.
0: I, I mean, I wonder, I wonder how things shift, right? How, how do we, how do we lose this? Um, where did we lose this? You know, maybe is this, is this the, a function of modern education or, or what's the deal? But I, it's hard for me to even think about speaking that phrase because even as I, you know, a professional minister of the gospel, right? Um, would, would think to say like, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I immediately go to this place of thinking, well, I'm imperfect. That would be presumptuous. Like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to call somebody into a lifestyle that's going to promote scandal, but never, before in history has there ever been a perfect person so mm-hmm. like um, I, I wonder when I wonder when that became a limiting factor yeah I I,
1: I mean we worship. have such a model of it in the church so it's the um, it's Saint Francis Saint Dominic Saint Ignatius like what we mm-hmm. do is we take so Francis imitated Christ in a unique way yeah. and then he took that imitation and it became the Franciscan charism yep. Ignatius imitated Christ in a unique way mm-hmm. and he took that and it became the uh, the Jesuit charism. And I think what, what, so we, we, they're see, called the
2: Society of Jesus, yeah. right? Like that's literally what they're trying to do is well,
1: say. and that's the, it is imitate me as I imitate Christ. The beauty of our, our charisms in the church is that there is a variety of ways to imitate Christ, right? That Mother Teresa and the missionaries of charity imitate Christ in a way that's different than the Dominicans. And yet they're both authentic imitations of the living God. And so I think that's one way to pass it on is to yeah. say, what is the charism that God has has put on me and how do I I pass that on to another and but I think the key and, and you know is that you've come under someone else as yeah. well like there's uh, so their mm-hmm. discipleship requires that I've been in a school of formation at some point that I actually have received something that I can give away and you yeah. that's so beautiful in our religious orders again or in our missionary movements that mm-hmm. there's a school of formation a postulancy a novice or whatever yeah. it is novitiate that, that there's a formation in a particular way of life and then once I've been formed in that way of life hypothetically I could pass that way of life on yep. to others mm-hmm. but yeah I mean when the the fact that the Lord chooses imperfect people to pass on a, a perfect way of life is the mystery of that's the trouble Pentecost
2: yeah. <laughs> well and, Andy well, and Paul wasn't presuming um, just through his own um, lens either right yeah. like he he had Barnabas he had uh, Aquila like like he had people that were mile markers down from him that were telling him a very similar thing Right, like um, it's funny. Whenever we're doing our full time missionary training, I give a talk where I tell the missionaries that we all need a Barnabas and a Timothy. Like in in our lives Mm. of Christian, um, uh, in our lives of Christianity, rather, um, we need to be living in that way. I I need to be constantly seeking someone who's a Barnabas to me in in different facets of life. I have different Barnabases, if you will, in different facets of my life, but they're a mile marker down, and and they're telling me different bends in the road, you know, and then I'm able to then help the person a mile marker. Behind me, navigate that road as they're helping me. And if we don't have one of those two things, I think that's where it becomes presumptuous. But I I think that to to this point, it's also not enough for me to simply get in my own kind of world. Going, I want to um, absorb as much as I can so I can make it down the path. I want to help everyone behind me make it down the path. That then gets us into youth ministry, and we
0: even observe that in the world today. I mean, there's there's been a a modern um, reality of like of young parents or young young adults who don't desire to be parents who, mm-hmm. you know, or, or desire to, you know, have a single child. Or, um, I think, mm-hmm. I think that what you're seeing is, is maybe that there's this collapse of the idea of understanding that my, I'm going to step into maturity through being formed. And my call to mission is to form Yes, that, that there there's to, to live as a Christian in the world today. I'm, I'm watching my words, but to live as a Christian in the world today, like I, I can't, I can't live for myself. I, there, there's no path in which I can, I can form a great career and accomplish this thing and do it well, uh, because because you know I, I don't want I don't want to make I don't want to make the exception the rule but the 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 norm is that I would be called to live in a life that I raise up disciples
2: mm-hmm. yeah
1: it's interesting I was uh, and I can't remember what the source is but John Paul II was speaking to lay ecclesial movements at one point yeah. and um, as he was speaking to these movements he talked about the the new evangelization leading to um, uh, mature Christianity mm-hmm. and the importance of formation and and the the, the movement often had a particular charism that they formed their people in and then they were able to pass that formation on to others. And he was suggesting there's so much power in the formation programs of the neocatechumenal way, yeah. of the Beatitude movement, like of the Focalari movement, of the Damascus movement. These formation programs that a young person comes under yeah. to be formed in a way of life and then that formation is able to be passed on. And that's why these movements, these late ecclesial movements are growing so fast, especially in some parts of Europe and uh, and the uh, and Asia because there's there's formation in a way of life that's then taught and then taught to the to the next generation yeah. or uh, or it appears. But what you see in parishes is there's not always a formation of a particular way of life and there's not necessarily people coming under formation. Right, that there is sacrament to, like I'm 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 coming to this parish to receive my sacraments or I'm I'm uh, I'm available for the sacraments or there's these parish programs. But a, a new paradigm of parish ministry should be, what is our formation program as a parish? What's the way of life that God has given us? And how do I impart this way of life onto all of our parish families? So that there's really a process Mm -hmm. of discipleship, formation, and Christian maturity. I
2: agree with that. I also wonder though if we put too much uh, impetus on the parish because I think like if we look to the days of old, like that impetus was put on the family. Yeah. A family had a charism and they they carried it. And like, and we don't want to go back to like the caste system. Like, so that's not (laughs) what I'm saying, but there was like, but families had a specific charism, a specific way of interacting with the world that they would pass on. There was an honor in the last name that you carried on. And that's, and that's why we Mm. have surnames. Like they, they carry on, they carry something. They carry a power, a generational reality, right? Like that, that's what movements are supposed to be doing is, is carrying an aspect of the dust of Jesus. That would be a shame to have fall Mm. to the ground and not have someone pick up. Like, I think that there's a, there's a real reality that I think a, a, a huge reason that youth ministry isn't something that we're um, like uh, privy to seeing is because if we begin seeing the necessity of um, youth ministry, we're going to have to start checking our own hearts in the family unit because that's primarily where youth are ministered to. And like youth ministry things at the parish, they're great as supplements, right? Because you do need someone. We have a missionary program here of young adults. Of course, we believe you need someone outside of just your family to witness this to because it gives legitimacy to what yeah. your family's saying. Yeah. But we have have to get back to like, no, those those children of yours, it, you're you're not supposed to give them complete aimlessness and call it autonomy. You're supposed to give them that which you found to be the way, the truth, and the life so that they can pass on the way and truth in life to whoever comes after them. So I, I don't know. I, I don't mean to say that in a way that that refutes the, the responsibility of the parish to really step yeah. into youth ministry more. But I also think that in the conversation, we have to talk family too. Amen.
1: I agree. All right, we're going to wrap up. Let's do final thoughts. So,
0: and... In light of this conversation, yeah. Aaron, what is your final thought? Um, what is my final thought? I, I, I look back to, I mean, I look back to our years in youth ministry and I think that it's uh, it's it saddens my heart to see that um, there used to be a, a lot of college students who were really passionate about wanting to serve in this way. And I feel like that's fallen out of style. And I know that one of the, um, as, as we're exploring the, the various ways that God's asking us as an organization and as, a, as an apostolate to focus, um, I feel a real conviction to really pick up that charge again. Hmm. Um, and you know, there's there's been co- sort of this this concept that like, okay, you know, some people are called to youth ministry, some people are called to college ministry, some people are called to adult ministry, mm-hmm. and I think that's nice. Um, but I think all of us are called to youth ministry, mm-hmm. and and if we if we let that hard work fall to somebody else uh, because it's hard, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's probably it's it's the hardest, it's the least rewarding, and I mean, it's it's the it's the dirtiest, it's the it's the most difficult, uh, it's the one that's going to keep you up latest, and that work of of parenthood. It's the it's the responsibility of every Christian.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't think we can let that message go unspoken.
2: Man, love yep. that. Yeah. Final thought. I think um my final thought is that if you're a young adult listening to today's podcast, what you need to do is I think twofold. First, recognize that Jesus used someone your age to pour out the Holy Spirit upon to found the church. And so in this season, he's looking for young adults like you to pour the Holy Spirit upon. And I'm using that. Those words loosely, obviously, like he wants to raise up the Holy Spirit that's alive in you, so that you would do something with your life that could start a movement, that could really bring people back to this this church. And secondly, yeah. allow your heart um, to really come into connection with what, when you were younger, would have been beneficial for you to have and hunger to give someone else that. Because if we don't do those two things, I think that we're really missing an opportunity to partner with the grace of God. When it's like, okay, God, you want to use me, and you don't want to just use me later when I finally have my education in a. Way well-paying salary, you want to use me now, and when I see that, like, man, when I was younger, those things, Lord, that I went through and wish I would have had solutions to, help me be your solution to those things in this next generation. You'll you'll never fault if you mm. if you do those two things. Amen.
1: My final thought is, if Jesus did youth and young adult ministry, we should do youth and young adult <laughs> <laughs> ministry. Amen. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> I I love it, guys. I think this has been a really fun conversation. Mm-hmm. I I'm, I'm excited because I think a paradigm shift can happen with our mentality that. Jesus chose the youth to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and be the agents of the the first evangelization. And why not use the youth for the new evangelization, the new Pentecost in this new apostolic age? And so you've been listening to Beyond Damascus, a show where encounter meets mission. My name is Dan Dimite. We've been here with Brad Pierron and Aaron Richards, tackling fun, interesting questions in the church. We are excited that you're partnering with us in this podcast. Please share with others, let other people join in. this conversation. Like, subscribe, leave comments, and we'll join you next week on Beyond Damascus.
0: Friends, thanks for listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. You can listen to the whole version of today's show by searching for Beyond Damascus on YouTube or your favorite podcast app.